Hello, everyone, and very happy Good Friday to each of you. And I pray that this day and this weekend will be one that um, is is a highlight of your life. I am very happy that God has given us the opportunity to be together on this beautiful morning. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and I'm specifically reaching out to our Saints Network family across the world, and um, we, we want to speak blessing to all of you on this glorious, glorious weekend when we celebrate the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that these are rather challenging times for many in the world, but for us who believe in our God and who are under the covering of his blood, we are rejoicing in our eternal home and in the assignments and the ministries that God has given to us. And uh, we, we rejoice in, in his promises. So uh, we bless those in our city and in our uh, surrounding uh, region. But the most important blessing that we are knowing now is what we're releasing to our Heavenly Father. We bless the Lord throughout our entire soul, our emotions, everything we are, and everything that is within me, which would include our spirit and our body and uh, what our mission is, what our, uh, what our identity is in God, we bless his holy name. And we thank him for what this day represents, for his sacrifice at Calvary. And um, we, we are just so grateful. This coming weekend... Um, which Sunday morning we will be celebrating the resurrection. But on this day, we want to direct our attention to a specific facet of what Jesus did uh, immediately following his death on the cross. Because really, the three days, uh, of course, were mandated so that Nobody in the, the religious world and nobody in the, uh, the Roman Empire could contest that Jesus was actually dead. I mean, three days was what they said um, would signify that somebody had actually died. And, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who it might have been. Maybe two days they thought somebody was dead in the middle of his wake. He said, I, I'm not dead yet. I, I don't know, but you know, from a from a standpoint of proving the validity of his sacrifice, those three days were something that was imperative for the world. But during those three days, Jesus wasn't just down there having some uh, intertestamental latte. I mean, he he was accomplishing things that were mandated. By God, and a lot of a lot of what He did, we won't really know until we are with Him in eternity. But we do have some clues that are that are available for us in Scripture. 
I have spent the past couple of days during, um, as part of the regimen of study I've been doing, I've been working on a lot of different other things, but I have been reflecting on what other people's opinions are about those three days. And I'm telling you, it's all over the map. There are those that extrapolate out like they're a modern J.R. Tolkien and they've got all this stuff, and I think, where where are you getting this? And then there are others who just say, well, you know, like a passage that we're going to look at in First Peter, we don't really know what this means, and and even if we did hypothesize, it wouldn't be anything like what it appears to be. Well, I think that's nonsense. What one of the things that happens in in interpretive strategy in religious circles is that if people, uh, if scholars with all of their education don't have an insight, they very rarely say, we don't know, because that would kind of lend um, a measure of, of a lack of confidence in their abilities. So what they usually do is say, this is misinterpreted, or it's not scriptural, or like, for instance, Peter was just wheels off or they were they were a primitive culture and they sometimes lent themselves to mythology or you know this could never have been and they go down that trail and there are a lot of people who aren't really walking in the in the things of the spirit who are more than willing to accept that and use that as a um as a proof text to discount anything spiritual so you have to know that's out there yeah, you have to recognize that that is a tactic in in a lot of theological circles. But for a pneumaticos people, um, you can look at some of these scriptures that we're going to look at, and you can apply biblical principles that God has led us to, and specific scripturals scriptures that um, that really shine a light. With that being said, there I readily admit that there are a lot of things that the Lord obviously did during those three days that we won't know till we get to heaven. However, there are, there are touch points that speak specifically as to things he did, and we want to look at them today. Now, why do we want to look at them? Why do we want to consider what happened in paradise? Well, for one reason, it's always good to know what the Scripture says, wouldn't you say? And it's good to meditate upon what God and His anointed Word has told us. That's that's exactly, that should be without say. Secondly, if we can learn anything further from the Word of God about what our precious Savior did for us, we want to know that so that we can be informed so that we can give him thanks, so that we can take advantage of why he did that, Uh, an advantage in a good way. I don't mean to be manipulative in in my uh, suggestion, but we we need to, to know that. And then thirdly, a lot of what God is saying to us now as saints, specifically end time scriptures, and things that we read about the saints and in paradise and the tree of life and the leaves and the fruits and all of those things that are readily said. This is not some fairy tale. These are readily said in the scripture. 
if we have a bearing as to the setting upon which they are evolving and why that setting is there and what Jesus did to provide for that, that's foundational footing. We want to know that. So I, I know that in a little while, uh, Pastor Fulton's word is going to come up on, on uh, uh, Facebook, and we rejoice in our brother Robert, and we're looking forward to that. I don't really know what all he said, but uh, Robert is such a, a great guy, and I look forward to hearing that. I could have brought a word to you about, you know, Jesus on the cross and those things, but I didn't feel led to do that. And we're, we're going to go into some pneumatikos meat today. So let's get ready and let's do it. So from the cross in Luke chapter 23, we remember that there were two thieves, one on either side of the Lord, who were being crucified because of their ne'er-do-well actions on earth. And um, one of the guys was mocking the Lord, but the other guy rebuked the man that was mocking the Lord. And in Luke 23, verse 40, 40 he says to, to the one of the thieves, said to the guy he was mocking, Do you not fear God, seeing that you are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's pretty clear, wouldn't you say? I mean, we don't have a lot of things that Jesus said from the cross, but I think this is a pretty accurate statement. Today, you will be with me, not at the right hand of the throne, not in on some cloud strumming a harp, but in paradise. Now, paradise is a term that was borrowed from the Persian languages. And it really described a garden that was surrounding a noble's home. Even in a palatial setting, um, this was, was, was a garden. I mean, we, we know these kinds of things. Like if you visit Versailles in France and you go there on the palace grounds and you see all of those gardens and the fountains and how beautiful it is. In fact, to me, that's the highlight of going to Versailles. You know, going inside the palace itself and the Hall of Mirrors and all those other things, that's great. But you're usually in line with a bunch of people taking pictures. You go out into the gardens and it is just gorgeous. You can walk out there for free. And that's also another benefit. But the idea of those gardens is what is what is uh, captured in the term paradise. And it really does link itself to nobility, to rulership, and it's, um, it's, it's a lovely and a tranquil place, but it is adjacent to someone who's ruling, 
and to their abode. So that's what that term meant in the Greek, and that's what that term meant in um, when when G- Jesus referenced it. Now, if you went a little deeper, and you um, you borrowed from the seventy, the Septuagint uh, translators who during the uh, intertestamental period, during the Hellenistic age, uh, they translated very scrupulously the Old Testament into Greek. And when they talked about the Garden of Eden, they used the term paradise. And they did that not just as a description, but they did that because the viewpoint of the people uh, in the inter- in the in the in the law seemed to be that um, the Garden of Eden was originally as a paradise setting, where Adam and Eve would be in this garden in conjunction with the rule of God, and God would come down as the as the mighty King and. He would commune with them, but the garden was a tangential place to a place of ruling, and um, and I think that's that's really pretty clear. I, I think that is accurate. In fact, I don't think I know it is. And so, anything we talk about today, we have to recognize that first of all, when Jesus said, "You'll be with me in paradise." And that wasn't a term that meant, man, you're you're going to be, you're going to be really kicked back, and it's going to be paradise till the morning light. No, this was a this was a real place, and um, also, uh, as we continue to study it, there is justification to know that somehow there was a connection between what God wanted in the Garden of Eden, where the tree of life was and still is, and that heavenly place known as paradise. We're going to look at those verses, but we want to talk about a little bit more. So that day, the um, the thief, the penitent thief, penitent thief, Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise that day. So that's pretty specific. And... Um, so when Jesus gave up the ghost, he took the pathway that um, um, every person who died during the Old Covenant took. And those who were, if you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, those that were crossways with God, who were not in his covenant, were in a place of despair. You know, the rich man, give me a drop of water to cool my tongue. Let me go warn my brothers that they don't come here. And Jesus said they have the prophets. You know, I don't want to go off on a tangent, which I am prone to do. But there are those that are just totally discounting the prospect of eternal punishment for anybody. And they say that um, um, when Jesus gave his life, that that's for everybody. You know, everybody's already saved. How could a loving God put people in eternal punishment? Well, there are a lot of scriptures that say that. So 
when you adapt that kind of of uh, viewpoint concerning the afterlife, you better get some scissors ready because you're going to be snipping out a lot of scriptures, and not all of them are ones that you can debunk as not being anointed. So Jesus talked about the rich man and Lazarus, and uh, the, the righteous ones were in what was called Abram's bosom, and that's where Lazarus was. So... Um, Jesus went, and obviously he went into, uh, was about to be, now I'm extrapolating now, he was about to be processed when all of a sudden he began to declare, obviously, that he had been wrongfully killed, that he was sinless, that he had fulfilled the law, that he was not to have been sacrificed in that way. And um, this obviously was what happened first. Now I don't know, I don't know how long uh, into his being in paradise uh, before he did that, we don't know. But in First Peter, we have the the wonderful apostle giving us two views of what Jesus did in um, in those three days uh, between the cross and his resurrection and um, I think if anybody Peter would have known he would not have been speaking as an ignorant Yahoo from a uh, prehistoric society. Peter said what he knew, and he didn't go beyond what he knew. In fact, we know that about Peter because he was very bold. In fact, he even referenced the Apostle Paul in one of his writings and said, you know, a lot of the things our brother Paul speaks are really mysterious and they're hard to understand, but um, we know that they are of God. So Peter was not given to imagination. He was not given to anything other than what he knew. And he didn't really press the envelope in a lot of things. But what he did say, uh, some of the things he said were really startling. And of course, Peter and Jude are, are really uh, almost bookend kind of writings and um, you need to take them uh, as factual. You may not understand everything that is there, but what they said was spot on. And so we know that Jesus spent time with Peter after his uh, resurrection. We know they had private meetings. We know that they talked. And um, I know that also... Jesus spent time during those days between the resurrection and the ascension teaching his disciples about the kingdom. And so Peter wasn't just talking nonsense here. He was not talking nonsense, not just. He was not talking nonsense. So in we're going to look at 1 Peter 3 and then 1 Peter 4. And 1 Peter 3... Uh, verses 18 through 21 says this, 
For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime, and that word sometime doesn't mean every now and then, it means, it's a word that means from ancient time or uh, on a continuing basis at a time past, were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, that when the ark was a-preparing, reminds me of the King's Speech. Remember that movie with Jeffrey Rush and uh, Colin Firth, and uh, it was about World War II, and he, the, the king had a speech impediment, and he says, well, you can say an ah in front of it and roll into the word. So here's an ah-preparing, wherein few... That is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone unto heaven, into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, this says in 1 Peter 3, that when Jesus died, he, he spoke, he preached. This is Caruso, and this is a declaration. This isn't a teaching. This isn't a line upon line from an understanding point. This is a decree. I'm sure he declared and decreed. This is a decree to these spirits who were disobedient, and were disobedient there. And I just to verify, I checked this out in four different lexicons and read it. This always have to do, always has to do this particular term with defiling the eternal will of God. And so basically these demons were in prison, these these fallen angels. They had been doing all kinds of things during the days of Noah. This wasn't just the four that are enslaved under the river Euphrates and chains that are going to be released probably pretty soon into the world. This is all of the demons that were functioning in a measure of disobedience. And somehow, this particular pact, not just the four that were enslaved in chains, but there's a whole bunch of them that were in prison. And they were there. What were they doing during Noah's day? Well, they were on the continuing quest of trying to destroy God's work, his intent for mankind. Yes, there was the mating of, of demons with the women of the earth and giants, those spiritless beings that, would, um, that were just a terror, threatening to destroy uh, the creation that God had made. And God said, finally enough, my spirit will not, will not strive with this anymore. And the whole process of Noah uh, partnering with God, being the nakam of God, uh, was engendered. So Jesus was addressing these demons. And he was making decree about that whole structure down there. 
And really, he was talking about the days of Noah, which we're coming into again, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the end of time be. And stay with me now. And he was talking about how his sacrifice was not only going to preserve what had been going on throughout the um, the Old Testament period, but was was really propelling mankind, the redeemed, those who would accept his sacrifice, forward into a covenant relationship with God at the right hand. He was declaring all of these things. Why was he declaring all of these things? Because that's the way God moves. In Luke 11, remember, God says that if you're going to go to a stronghold, you first bind the strong man. God also says in, um, for instance, um, Ephesians 3. Let's go over there. You know this passage, but I, I don't want to just... I just don't want to reference it. I want to make sure you know I'm reading the word. Not as if any of you who are actually listening would doubt that. Ephesians 3, 8. Um, wherefore, he says... No, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. No, that's that's it. Uh, he says that... Um, yeah, I am getting ahead of myself. The, the, the issue for us is that when he, um, when he did the things that he did, he did them so that the church could, um, could manifest his mysteries and so that when those mysteries were manifested, that he would, um, he would be able to before the principalities and powers in, in heavenly places, show what the church was going to do. And we've taught on that in, in quite, a, quite a number of ways. Um, and um, I know that the Lord does everything in perfect sequence. He does it so that whatever he has established is declared perfectly. And he does it so that um, the enemy will never be able to say, oh, you cut a corner here, or you did this, or you did, didn't do that. So it was important for him, especially those that were in, in prison, because of what they did trying to destroy God's uh, work in man, it was important for them to know, first of all, that, look, what I have done here, your, your cohorts that are still out and free, they crucified me, and they did it wrongfully. And so because of that, all of these people now can believe in me, and through my blood and through my sacrifice become the body of the anointed sons, and they are being redeemed to the Father. He declared all these things. He decreed all these things. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.19. Now, how do you know that happened first? How do you know that was the first in the sequence? Well, for one, it makes sense for what we've just said. But secondly, in the, in the chronology of what Peter wrote, we read in 1 Peter 3, but then when you go to 1 Peter 4, it says in verse 6, For this cause, 
was the gospel preached also to them that are dead? And this preach is euangelion, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now that is interesting. It's a full chapter after we read Peter say that the Lord decreed to these spirits in prison that were enslaved. I don't know what all he told them. I know he made the decree of what his sacrifice was. He may have set something in motion for what's coming as prophesied, as would be prophesied in the book of Revelation. I I don't know what all he said, but I do know that that happened. And it obviously happened sequentially before Jesus spoke to those that were in Abram's bosom. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I've always just thought that it was those that were of the redeemed. I mean, because of primarily because of, of those who were under the law and who submitted themselves and were Abram's bosom that he actually preached to. And then they had to accept him on behalf of what was going to happen next. Uh, God's good about that. He gives people chances. I personally don't believe that he gave the opportunity to those that had rejected him when they were on earth. Because even when... um you know, the rich man was saying what he said. The Lord said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they if they won't listen to them, then, you know, even if you went back from the dead, they wouldn't listen to you either. So I don't, I think in light of that, I think once they were down there in that perilous place, their, their hope was gone. But all of those who were classified as the dead, whether it was David or whether it was um, Elisha or whether it was Samuel or whoever it might have been, they all had to accept him, which I'm sure they gladly did. I don't know. We don't have any record that anybody said, nah, nah. I'm pretty sure they all said yes because he was the risen Lord. So three days in man's terms, we don't really know, you know, when, we, when we're in the spirit realm, when we're praying, we lose track of time because time is no more there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. A day is as a thousand years. So we, we don't really know the, the sequence of time um, in, in paradise, but we know that he went to paradise. We know that this man on the cross was with him there. We know that he decreed to the spirits that were in, that were imprisoned down there who were obviously trying to destroy God's plan for man, and Jesus made declaration to them. Uh, what about the ones that crucified him? What about the ones that were up there? Well, they were going to continue to be theatroned. I mean... We've seen them regularly. I mean, they're getting a solid dose. Jesus didn't free those spirits were down there in in prison. He declared to them. Obviously, they're still there, 
and they they were not going to be able to to do anything about what the church is doing today at at this point in time. So God being as fair as he is was making these declarations to them. And then he came, Jesus came and preached to Abram and to all the others that were there. And uh, I just think that's great. But the chronology of First Peter speaks this forth. And, you know, you also have, as I said, in the conjunction with, with Jude, you have reference to those that are enslaved in chains of darkness. Um, uh, you know, you have a twofold theatron. You have this theatron that, first of all, was declaring that Jesus' sacrifice and what it meant that he was sinless, and that gave him the authority to to um, to really initiate the new covenant and to, uh, who knows? I, I have a feeling that, you know, there was a lot of catching up to do. Let's say, let's just say, for instance, that when they first went down, Jesus and this, this fellow, um, when they first went down, um, it really rocked the place. I mean, it it really, it it shook the place so much so. You know, you had the the veil of the temple being rent, the old covenant being done. Well, I don't want to say done away, but the old covenant being uh, amalgamed into the fullness of the new covenant. You had saints rising up out of the grave, so some who had died were were coming alive and so there was a shaking that was really scrambling the whole system that had been in place for a long 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 time and um so jesus goes he makes it clear that he is there you know he's there illegally and then that sets the stage with his sacrifice for the new covenant and redemption. He makes this declaration to those spirits that are that are down there. And then he begins to preach the gospel to all of these ones that are in paradise. And um, I'm sure that he talked with them. He fellowshiped with them. He, he undoubtedly spoke about... You know, Moses and Elijah already had seen him. They were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, again, where Elijah was, Elijah was caught up in the whirlwind, so he was up in heaven. I don't know whether God let him come on down there to be with the rest of the Old Testament folks. That wouldn't, uh, for this moment, I don't know that. That's just me hypothesizing. But Moses was there, and Moses already knew him because he'd just seen him. And um, undoubtedly, did you ever think about that? When Moses went back down, and he obviously was talking. He was the lawgiver. He was sharing with Abram, probably. He was sharing with Sarah. He was sharing with uh, Samson. Well, well, it's arguable whether in that last moment when Samson served and he gave his life, I think God probably looked kindly on him there. It was Samuel and with Nathan and all of these others. And so Jesus declared, preached to them. 
and they had to come to a point where they accepted him. But then he probably spent time talking to them about what was coming and what what they were going to be knowing there in just a, a brief amount of time when he was going to lead them up into the heavens. You know, he was probably clarifying points when he uh, when he talked. You know, on the road to Emmaus, those two guys that were lamenting and, and when Jesus rose from the dead, um, Jesus went from the Moses and the prophets and talked about all the things that were prophesied. That was hot on Jesus's thoughts. He'd probably just been sharing that discussion with with Moses himself and with Abram and with all of the others, David. David was probably singing some tunes. I don't know how he would have fashioned a sackbut or a harp down there, but you know he had to have something so that he could he could uh, sing. Well, or just maybe just singing. I don't know. Hezekiah was even there, but you know when he came to the road of Emmaus, he just kept that conversation going. Um, so for all that time, and he, and he obviously told them, okay, now we're going to ascend to the Father. And um, so he was busy during those three days. And it was a rejoicing time. But according to the chronology of Peter, the first thing he did was set some things straight. And part of that was to the system itself, to the earth itself. He had to talk to the earth because creation waits the manifestation of uh, the sons of God. He had set things. Obviously, some things were stopped when the Garden of Eden was taken from the earth. And obviously, the tree of life is up in heaven in the heavenly paradise now. So things were suspended. There were obviously things that Jesus was saying and declaring into creation. You know, you need to be ready now because the things that I created this world to know are going to begin to be known, and you need to await the manifestation of the sons. And, you know, so you, you, you had to have this demonic declaration, the, the declaration to the, to the demonic world. You had to have a declaration into the old covenant itself. You had to have the curse being removed. You had to have the... The, the declaration into creation. You had to have the, the preaching to these, these uh, dead in the law. And you had to have them accepting the Lord. You had to have uh, uh, that preparing for going up into the heavens. All of that stuff. There was a lot of things going on during these three days that we now celebrate. I think that's phenomenal. Don't you? So, um, I uh, I am just I'm just looking forward to to being able to gain further insights during these three days, and to pray and see what see what God is going to say to us uh, in light of what's coming in this season that we now have um, have been um, um, have been brought into in the timing of the Lord now I just couldn't I couldn't turn the page quick enough earlier when I was trying to look for Ephesians 3 it's Ephesians 3 I said that earlier verses 8 through 11 unto me 
who am less than the least of saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent now that under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's that passage. So the Lord always makes this, always makes whatever he's doing in mysteries through the church known to the principalities and powers in the heavens. That continues to happen. But then you turn the page into Ephesians 4. We're going to read um, a little bit of an extended passage. Let's pick up at uh, verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, he that ascended, what is it that he, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. Paul goes on there, but this is an astounding word. And once again, it speaks unequivocally about Jesus descending and then ascending and him leading captivity captive and bringing it up uh, for God then to release gifts to release the doma, to release the tetheme of of the fivefold offices, and um, you know we've often said that oh this is till we all come in the unity of faith. This is in the sweet by and by, but really think about this: Aren't we all coming in the unity of the right hand the, in faith right now, and the knowledge of the Son of God? Aren't we walking in that? Unto a perfect man, we've talked about perfection, we wrote about that in the Thesauros book and looked at that, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we aren't children anymore, tossed to and fro. You've got a choice right now, and I want you to hear this. In this changing environment, in the spirit realm and on the earth, you're going to have to decide whether you are going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, and there's a lot of wind blowing out there. By the slight of men, there are a lot of people who are figuring out how can we turn this to our good to either deceive people or to get them marching along to our religious bandwagon. And um, But you're either going to do that or you're going to be in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and and moving in the perfection of the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Which do you want to be? Which do you want to be? The choice is yours. But when Jesus ascended, 
He led captivity captive after he preached, well, he descended into the into the lower parts of the earth and he dis, and he he also ascended. Now, at some point we need to figure out what this really meant because Jesus could not well he could have done anything he wanted to but again God was doing this so that no point could be mistaken um or accused of of malfeasance by the enemy until Jesus was resurrected i mean dying illegally was a big thing of course his sacrifice was paramount but without the resurrection that was a great work but it wasn't a complete work do you understand so when jesus was resurrected the the first person he appeared to other than the angels was mary and he said a lot of things to her. I think we'll see, but I, I'm going to talk about this a bit more on Sunday. But he said, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now, let's look at this. There's a couple of things that had to happen. Because when, according to Ephesians, when he ascended, he led captivity captive. So, when he was first resurrected, he hadn't ascended yet, which is what he told Mary very clearly, right? Right? I have not yet ascended. Now, we know from the book of Revelation that when he appeared as the lamb that was slain and the little book was given and he positioned himself at the right hand and everybody uh, up there was, was giving glory to God, what a wonderful thing. You need to read that again in these next couple of days. But I am assuming this, that when Jesus, the risen Lord, um, when he ascended, he populated all of these people who were in the lower parts of the earth in what was called paradise because people were what made paradise. People were what, in God's heart was what made the Garden of Eden. God didn't come down there to ride unicorns. He came in his spirit to, well, he may have. I don't know what he did. Uh, he, uh, he came there to commune with Adam and Eve. And so I'm assuming that when Jesus was resurrected, he told Mary, go and tell them that I've risen. And he said, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended. I believe at that resurrection, he then took, he led all of those people into the heavenly paradise. And then he as the lamb, and they could see this. They, they could see this, and they could behold this. But he went as the lamb, the, 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 the crucified lamb, the slain lamb, and he received that book. He took his place at the right hand, and then things were complete. Otherwise, you think he went there first, and then he came down out of the right hand. He said, okay, all of you, come on. There's the garden. In you go. I don't think that's what happened. I think it was, 
I think they were in their position because he'd all, they had already accepted him. He'd already talked to them. He'd already been risen. And they, they filled that place. And, and then he, they, they were able to watch with all of the others, the angels and the others that were there. They were able to watch as Jesus took his place. What a tremendous thing. What a tremendous thing. Now, how long after that, we don't know. How long after that, Jesus then, uh, it wasn't very long, he came down and on the road to Emmaus, and then he walked through the wall, and Thomas, plunge your hand into my side. You know, all of that happened. And, um, you know, brothers, you know, come on, come out of the boat. I've got some food here cooked for you. And Jesus ate some broiled fish and honeycomb. It's all there in the scripture. Read it. I just read it a little while ago, so I know it's there. Um, this is a glorious thing, wouldn't you say? It, it's a wonderful thing. But all of that went on to in those three days, and then, then when the Lord came back down to earth after captivity had been led captive and paradise was restored, and um, he took his place at the right hand, and there was great rejoicing. Then he came back down, and in those days leading to the ascension, he taught his disciples about the kingdom. He showed himself to many people. He talked to people. It wasn't a phantasm. It was a, it was a living, breathing, risen Lord. How glorious is that? It's, it's, just, it's just fantastic. So, let's... Go to the other two passages in the New Testament that specifically speak about paradise. Okay? Uh, the first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is the Apostle Paul writing. I've gone old school here. I could be using my little computer, but or my little phone, but I'm using the senior adult Bible. I remember when these Bibles I bought these, oh I did. I did it from the church for our senior adult group, and we put them in Peace Chapel. But I got one of them up here in, in, the, uh, in the booth. So I'm, I've gone old school on you here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Well, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knows. Just in one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And then, it, you know, it goes on down and, um, you know, because of the, the abundance of visions and revelations, you know, the thorn in the flesh, the buffeting, and my grace is sufficient. We've talked about that recently, but it really pinpoints on paradise and then these abundance of, of visions and revelations. Um, so, but here you have Paul saying, and why why would he say whether in the body or not in the body? Because there are a lot of times where you you're caught up into the heavens, and and it feels just like you're in your body, 
you know somewhere in your in your in your knowing that your body is down on earth but everything you are you know you're in heaven so this was paul he wasn't confused he was just trying to convey that you know during the seminar we did a temple activation and we were praying and i found myself sitting up on the footstool of the throne of god I didn't go there. I had no way of going there. I couldn't have gone there. There's no maps go. There's no GPS that could take you there. You can't book a flight there, especially not during COVID-19. Um, but I felt like I feel right now. I knew I was there. I wasn't some phantasm kind of a spiritual will-o'-the-wisp kind of a thing. So this is Paul, but he was in paradise. Now, what is so important about paradise? Well, let's look at Revelation 2, verse 7. All the same word, all, all the same word in, in the New Testament. Jesus on the cross, what Paul is saying, and uh, here in, I'm getting there. It's good to hear the rustling of the leaves. <laughs> That's something old-timey preachers used to say. My leaves aren't rustling very fast here. This senior adult Bible, I think it's, it's got, I think it's specially made for people that are getting older. It's even harder to turn the pages. Revelation 2.7 He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, this is the risen Lord. This is Jesus appearing to John while John was on the Isle of Paradise. Uh, of, of paradise. <laughs> the Isle of Patmos. Um, and the tree of life is there. And we read a lot of other things about the tree of life throughout the, the new te in, in, in the book of Revelation. And we read about the, the, the leaves for the healing of the nations. We read about the, um, the fruits every 12, uh, once every month, uh, which is the privilege of the saints to eat. And, um, we know that the river of God flows through here. We know that um, there, there are a lot of people that are fellowshipping there, the redeemed. Uh, we, we, we know this. Now, what, what would Paul say about unspeakable words? Those are unspeakable ramas, things that were either hard to utter or things that were really... Um, not going to be something you could base with scriptural authority. No, let me let me say this right. There are a lot of things that we know are true that we're experiencing in God that we have biblical precedent to do. But a lot of the things that, like we determine in intercessory times that God is saying or whatever. Those things that we hear and experience 
are not equated with Scripture because there's only one Scripture. The Scripture makes the way for us, but we don't build our life on experience. We build our life on Scripture. So when Paul says that it's uh, these, these words are an unspeakable rhema, that means that those are rhema words for that time that he's experiencing, but he's, he's not able to really make them something for you. It's, it's informative, it's progressive in the work of God, but it's unspeakable. Even when he tells it, it's it's hard to to say, okay, uh, we just want you to know this, but you know you're not you're not going to write it down, and then the same thing's going to happen to you. And unlawful to utter, it's just saying you know you can't base your foundational walk on these things. However. What was happening to Paul was true. He was caught up by the Lord, and the enemy detested him for it. Do you see that? It's all there in the same passage. The enemy does not want you having these experiences. He does not want you bringing revelation, progressive understandings from these encounters with God. But Paul very clearly says, what I experienced there was a rhema. And so it was for that time frame, it was an activation off of the Logos of God. But you, you, you need to know this, but I'm not saying that you, you build your life on it. And, and I'm not saying that it's equal to the law of the Scripture of God. But it's real. I'm experiencing it there. God brought me there. And because of that, the kingdom is progressing forward. And the enemy hates it. And because of that, I'm being opposed. And I came to the Lord three times and said, remove this thing from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And it goes on from there. Do you see that? Do you understand that? So Paul was in paradise. It's where the tree of life is. The scripture tells us that the saints are functioning there. You know, you think, oh, that's just for the heavenly times and the sweet by and by. Well, let me ask you this. 3,000 years from now, what nations are there going to be that need to be healed by those leaves from that tree? You just think about that. So if you throw all this into some kind of post-millennial thing, it doesn't match up with what the Scripture says is going to be happening. Uh, you know, we there there's something that God is unlocking in this paradise because all things are coming to a head, and the things that God promises about this, about paradise, in conjunction with the throne and God's plan that is eternal in the, in the thesaurus of understanding and wisdom, and what is happening right now in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony, and what is happening through the worship that's being offered to God in the incense of the saints— all of those things are happening, but we must recognize the active and imperative promises that are being spoken of with what's going on there in paradise. That is going on now, but we don't build a doctrine on it. We don't say, like the Mormons, we've got this new scripture. We're not. We're just going off of the old, with the, with the eternal scripture. 
So let's think about this. Paradise was equated with the Garden of Eden. At some point, we don't know when, God took that tree of life up into heaven. And the flow of the river and paradise was now in heaven. When Jesus died, he went into the paradise that was said at that time to be in the lower parts of the earth. He declared and decreed to the demonic ones that were there, and he preached the gospel to those that were in Abram's bosom. He then, he then was resurrected. He told Mary, go tell my disciples that I'm risen. Don't touch me. Don't touch me now. Don't touch me because I'm not yet ascended. At that point, he led captivity captive. He positioned those people from the, uh, the paradise that was them in that holding place in the center of the earth. And who knows, hell has enlarged itself. I, you know, I, I'm not going to go there. It's a different topic. I, I brought it up. Forgive me. But those people were put there, and then all of heaven watched with rapture at Jesus, the slain lamb, presenting himself to God. He took that little book, went to the right hand. Then God released the fivefold, the tetheme. He, he gave gifts to men. Jesus then came back down to earth, appeared to the guys in the road to Emmaus, appeared to his disciples, and he was there until the time of his ascension. Now, it didn't stop there. Shortly after, in the scope of time, the ascension, Paul himself is being caught up into paradise, and there he is receiving insights and revelation, things that were rhema, things that were um, astounding things that were, uh, were not things you build your faith on, but things that are uh, uh, here a little, there a little, to encourage the work, to keep progressing in the work. And the enemy didn't like it. The enemy attacked that. But Paul says specifically he was caught up into paradise. And we know that um, Jesus says there in Revelation, we read it, Revelation 2, that we're to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Same word, same place. And, you know, again, this is kind of like a rhema. But God is showing us from the Scripture, if, you, if you're there at the throne and you're looking out over the sea of glass, which is, which is made by the igniting of the, the lightning of God upon the sons who are going forth to do the bidding of the Lord, that's God's photo album. He rejoices. He looks out over that. Uh, to the left of the throne is the temple of the tabernacle. To the right is the the housing of the wisdom and understanding and the books of heaven. And going down then from the, the, the hill of the Lord to the sides of the north, you go with the river down into paradise where the tree of life is. All of that is very real, and you better know it's real. The Scripture talks about it. We're giving you a an eyewitness guide to this. God is mobilizing all of those things. In this day, the end is nearer now than when than ever. 
And we are serving as saints, the living king of saints. And we are eating by the glory of God the fruits of that tree so that we can function on earth in the way God originally created us to function on earth. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations, the river of God flowing from a trickle at the throne to waters that cannot be navigated by the will of man, is touching the earth and is going to touch the earth in a greater way. This is what Jesus was making possible in this time between the cross and the resurrection. These three days are not a time for us to say, oh, you know, we're going to put on our morning face and smear ashes all over our head and, you know, just try to beat ourselves with the flagellation whip and let the Lord know how much we... That's ridiculous. What was Jesus doing in these three days? And how does it apply to all the things we've talked about in Scripture? How does it apply to what is coming in the book of Revelation and what is active in us right now? We need to rejoice in the Lord. Right now, you recognize that there is a major theatron that is happening. God has been declaring and is continuing to declare what he's working through his church. And the enemy's being put on notice. I believe that God is going to do things that are prophesied, that are said in Scripture, but according to his timetable and his eternal will, have not been possible, but they are coming into play now. We need to be in prayer. We need to be confident. We need to not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. We don't need to have to rush here, there, to hear what all the other preachers are saying. I bless them. You are saints. Don't forget that. Go before the Lord. Your deliberation, your proskuneo, your praying in diversities of tongues in that mighty grace gift is partnering with our God to unlock these things. Don't forget that. These three days between the cross, the death of Jesus, and his uh, resurrection, and then his ascension to come, they unlocked what we're doing right now. Now, a lot of people in the general church, I used to believe this. We would talk about being able to go by the river of God and where the tree of life is. And greet old relatives that died and went on. I want to sit down and talk with Moses. I want to, I've got a bunch of questions I want to ask Jesus. We'll understand it better by and by. You know, that's what we think. We're going to walk on the streets of gold. We're going to be uh, in our heavenly bodies. We ain't going to have no more tears. And we're, you know, all of that stuff. Well, good. Be blessed. We're going to enjoy heaven. But right now, we've got work to do. And you as saints are at the forefront of this battle, which is why the enemy hates you. Read the book of Revelation. Who does the enemy hate? Who's he trying to attack? Who's he coming against? Who's he going to try to surround? What camp is he going to surround? The camp of the saints, the saints and the prophets, blood slain from the foundation of the world. Wow, shed from the foundation of the world. I know that's, that's kind of a downer to throw that in right here when I'm ready to call you to the altar. But let's use these days to... Reflect on these scriptures. Pastor, I didn't get all the scriptures. Well, that's the nice thing. Scott and Robin are going to 
put this up for you. It's going to be on Archive. It's going to be on Spotify. It's going to be on Facebook. You can go back through. If you listen on Spotify, you can play me at one and a half or two speed. Hear this in, in half the time. But you can pause it and write the scriptures down. And um, But this is what happened from the cross to the throne. And it it's great to recognize these things, but it's also for our time right now, wonderful to know what it is still unlocking for us as saints. I've gone way over time, but all of you are shelter in place and you got nothing to do. I don't know whether Florida snuck out to the beach yet or not, but you know, you can study this. Look at it tomorrow. Have a wonderful resurrection Sunday. This is great. God is good. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the privilege of being able to partner with you. Help us to continue to see the things that you have spoken in the days that uh, we're living in, and help us to partner with you. We love you, Father, for your goodness to us, and we thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself so that we might know you to be redeemed to our Father and to serve you in this way. We ask nothing for ourselves. We only ask that we'll be able to serve you. Let the blood of Jesus be upon us. Don't let any one of us as saints miss or offer in a partial way what you're requiring of us in this day. Let us be good and faithful. Let us do the will of our Father. And throughout these hours, over these next couple of days, let our commune with you be sweet. And may we, in the altar of our homes, commune with you and know you and present ourselves as living sacrifices before that great and wonderful throne of our Father who we love. And we ask all of these things with great thankfulness to you. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. And we seal them now in that wonderful name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. And I thank the Lord for the privilege of being able to reach out to you. And uh, we love you all. We're praying for you. Use this time. It's in God's plan. Great things are ahead. And we, we give him glory for it. So God bless you in every way in this weekend and we'll look for you again on Sunday or whenever you can tune in and, and listen on archive. God bless and goodbye.